Hi there, and welcome back to Out There, a Cryptid Podcast. I'm your host, Josh. On the 13th of each month, I come out with a new episode focused on cryptids that I find super fascinating and weird. And if you still don't know what a cryptid is, it is defined as an animal that has been claimed to exist but never proven to exist. Cryptids don't have to be supernatural or mythical beings, although many of them are, some cryptids have actually become documented animals. Make sure you go and follow the podcast on Instagram, at OutThereCryptids, and check out the posts I make for each episode and maybe send some suggestions you'd like to hear. Today's episode is one that I think might become most of your new favorite cryptid. A hulking creature with matted fur, piercing red eyes prowling the swamp. A mix of a human and a beast. This month, we are talking about the Rougarou. Let's dive in. The Rougarou's roots can be traced back to French and Cajun folklore. The name itself is believed to have originated from the French word loup garou, which translates to werewolf. However, the Rougarou has its own unique twist. According to the legend, the creature is said to appear during the full moon, hunting for those who have committed immoral acts or broken Lenten traditions. The punishment for such transgressions to be transformed into a Rougarou for 101 days. Another legend says that the wolf-like beast will hunt down and kill Catholics who do not follow the rules of Lent. The first recorded usage of the word was in the early 19th century. The term was used in a French poem titled La Loupe Garou by Joseph Bouchet, a Canadian surveyor and map maker who traveled extensively throughout North America. But stories of a similar creature from earlier, from across the Atlantic, tell a very similar tale. In the Middle Ages in France, it was often believed that if any person had been denounced from the altar and remained impenitent, refused to make restitution and confess, the curse of the werewolf fell upon him. In Normandy, any man who was excommunicated became a werewolf for a term of three or seven years. In Basse-Britannia, any person who had not been shriven for ten years nor used holy water could become a werewolf. In Lavendie, the man who was excommunicated became a werewolf for seven years, during which he was obligated to hunt certain ill-omened and accursed spots. They classified this creature as a werewolf, which is not far off from what everyone in Louisiana has reported, but there's something about the Rougarou legend that taps into our deepest fears and superstitions. The origin story from Louisiana isn't too far off from this one in France. Both are centered around Catholicism and talk of the same creature. Naughty children or Catholics who didn't practice Lent for seven consecutive years might find themselves turned into one. Of course, those who didn't believe that the loop guru is real merely said that these fables were made up to scare people into behaving. When the loop guru traveled to southern Louisiana with the Acadian people who were exiled from France, Canada, its name evolved into Rougarou, though you may hear him called both. It's also been noted that he isn't strictly a werewolf-type entity. It can shapeshift to any animal that calls the bayou home. We've 
seen many cryptid origins that are just like this. I'm talking about some of our favorites like skinwalkers, wendigos, and even hellhounds. Could it be that these creatures were all created from the same kind of all-powerful energy? Or is it something more demonic in nature? From swamps to woods, this creature has been reported all across Louisiana. Stories tell of glowing red eyes, foul-smelling breath, and a haunting, mournful cry that sends shivers down the spines of even the bravest souls. Witnesses have claimed to see a hulking, commanding figure with matted fur and razor-sharp claws, stalking its prey in the dead of night. But this cryptid has more to it than just its beastly form. 1971. A man was driving along a highway on the edge of the bayou when all of a sudden something lurches out in front of the car. Unable to stop, the driver hits whatever it is and slams on the brakes. The driver got out of his car and went over to see what he had just hit. At first it looked like a calf, but then all of a sudden it got up and turned into a half-man creature that just walked away, paying no mind to the car or man that just hit it. Now, this story came from Laura McKnight, who wrote about the Ruguru for Homa Today. This story is crazy on many levels, but shows us how this creature is much more supernatural than your run-of-the-mill werewolf. It has the ability to change its appearance, very similarly to a skinwalker. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Before we go on, there is something I think we all need to keep in mind. As I researched this cryptid, it became pretty clear that this was going to be an episode with stories from people rather than the usual news articles, photos, or video evidence. Doesn't make them any less real, but it just means it's harder to prove if it really happened or not. So keep that in mind as we go through the rest of the sightings that will appear in this episode. Here's a sighting that will send chills down your spine. It's been about seven years since this happened, and I swear that this thing is following me no matter where I go. I used to work as a camp counselor. I loved working with the kids, and I also loved the outdoors. For the longest time, I felt that this camp was the safest place I could ever be. But like I used to tell the kids, dear God, those defenseless kids, it's my fault this happened. I used to tell them that dark was harmless, but it's what you can't see in the dark which will hurt you. Anyway, camp would last for weeks at a time. We would hike, fish, all things you'd expect to do at a camp. But every Friday, we would take the kids out to the woods and tell them scary stories. Of course, they were fake, and at least that's what we thought. The first incident happened on a Wednesday, the second week of camp, when a kid got lost and was missing for three days until they found his body. It was lifeless near one of the rivers, and he was missing an arm and the left leg. The head of the camp said it must have been a bear attack and said that every counselor must carry some sort of weapon on them in case it returns. 
Now being the boy from the bad part of Baton Rouge, I usually carried a 45 and wire cutters. Fast forward to the next incident, it was the Saturday of the third week. I slept in cabin 4B and had my own room where I slept. I remember looking at my phone and seeing that it was 3 a.m. when we heard the most massive roar followed by a loud bang against the cabin. I jumped up grabbing the 45 out of my desk drawer. I remember hearing all the kids screaming and yelling as I ran out of the room looking at a smashed window and seeing a figure heading back towards the woods. I ran to the window, tried to fire, but I don't know if I hit it or not because the thing didn't even flinch. The rest of the night I stayed up jumping at every sound I heard. The next day the head counselor had a huge argument with me. I remember him saying it's just a bear, quit worrying, and whatever it was you said you hit right, so it's probably gone for good. I remember yelling and slamming the forty-five down in front of him, but it didn't even flinch. It's like it didn't care. I told him we eventually came to an agreement that the kids would have to leave camp in about three days, but that was too long. I should have called the cops, but I didn't. Three days later, the kids left. Unfortunately, the counselors had to stay an extra two days after the kids left to clean up and organize everything. It was a Monday night, and all the counselors except the head counselor were playing cards, drinking, and smoking. All of us were trying to forget about the events. It was about 2 a.m. Then we heard the head counselor yell and scream. We all sobered up real quick. We picked up our weapons. We made our way to the main office. Before Jerry and Colin went in, Brian said that there was nothing to worry about since it was just one bear and the four of us. Jerry and Colin went in first. Me and Brian went after around the back. As we got to the back of the cabin, we soon heard Jerry and Colin screaming and then they fired. The inside of the cabin lit up. As I looked through the window, I saw two of my closest friends screaming for their lives. Me and Brian watched in fear as it slowly turned around and roared again. The two of us ran to my car as fast as possible. We crawled in. We saw the giant wolf-like thing running towards us, but as it got closer, it slowly turned, morphing into that thing we saw at the office, which was a bit more human, only a bit. I started the car and sped off, but that thing kept pace with us. I know that I was going 45, but still, it was coming at us. I emerged onto the highway as soon as possible. Then the creature slowed down and watched us speed away down the highway. Both me and Brian couldn't believe what we saw. A month later, Brian reached out to me and told me that the thing we saw was the Rougarou. They're known to shapeshift, but the moment he said that, I didn't know what to think. Things like that aren't real, right? That's just from horror films and urban legends. Things like that can't exist, right? I still think that thing is waiting to pounce and get me everywhere I go. Nowadays, I carry my 45 with me everywhere I can, but I feel like something could happen anytime soon. Take my advice and don't go unprepared into the woods, the swamps, or the forests in Louisiana unless you want to meet the fate closest to that child. Absolutely terrifying. Now, this story brings up a very big part of the legend surrounding this cryptid. Rougarou is said to be mostly tales told to children to get them to sleep at night. Some stories say the Rougarou likes to break into your home at night and pull on your toes, so by covering up at night in bed, 
you are safe. Even at the Audubon Zoo, there is a display with a giant rookeroo. There was a lifelike mannequin that was notorious for scaring the kids. So perhaps this is more like a boogeyman tale to keep the kids in line. Maybe it's a cautionary tale, a way for communities to enforce moral codes and societal norms. It's not just about the physical creature itself, but the fear it instills that keeps people in check. But then, what are all these witnesses experiencing? This next sighting is from Reddit, and it is a terrifying one. I was a high school senior nearing graduation when it happened. Few in my town and even fewer in my bloodline had ever left Bayou Tesh. The vast majority of those born there also die there. I longed for more. I wanted out. I saw college as my ticket to freedom, much to my family's dismay. I was accepted with a full ride at a state university three hours north. My hard work had finally paid off and I started spending my days dreaming of a life and a future far away from the simple ways of the bayou folk. One lazy afternoon after school, the sun was starting to drop and I was laying back in my pirogue, a small flat bottom boat. I was staring at the clouds, listening to the chatter of the frogs, daydreaming while letting the slow bayou current push me downstream towards home. All of a sudden I jumped up, startled, out of my daze by a loud splash. I quickly looked at the water around, trying to find the tail-tell ripples that would indicate a gator was close by. Gators often splash around our boats, but they're usually harmless. If we leave them be, they leave us be. Well, for the most part. But this time I saw nothing but flat water. There didn't appear to be any gators nearby. Lots of creatures called the swamp home, and I started to relax again, deciding it was probably just a snake dropping from a tree into the water in search of food. But then I heard a vast series of staccato splashes and turned around to find myself face to face with what could only be a rougarou. The water, chest high on me, came up to its hips, just below its waist. Its arms were abnormally long, misshapen and hairy, but its face is what caused me to open my mouth to scream. Large, soulful black eyes tucked under hairy ears and a, over a flat snout with two large yellowed canine teeth hanging crooked out of its mouth. The Rougarou's hair was colored with browns and reds of the swamp, from the muddy brown color of the bayou water to the dark reds of the cypress tree roots. Before the scream could it even leave my throat, the Rougarou clamped its giant hand over my mouth and no sound escaped. It then pushed me to the floor of my boat and pinned me down with its foot. I was terrified, certain that I was being snatched for its dinner. Not gonna lie, I was scared out of my mind. I quickly pissed myself and began to shake and cry. I really wish I could say I fought a valiant fight that day, but that's not how it went down. I was unable to move, frozen with fear, and couldn't even begin to fight back. As I lay there pinned down, I heard the familiar sound of my backpack zipper being unzipped. Then I felt a shifting of weight as I heard the Rougarou's inhale deeply, one giant loud sniff. Most of my backpack's contents were that strewn around the inside of the boat, landing everywhere. My calculus textbook banged me squarely on the forehead, drawing blood. I heard a clinking sound as the Rougarou suddenly jumped up and leapt into the water with amazing speed and agility. Once it got to the shore, it took off running, 
into the distance and was quickly shrouded by the thick swamp vegetation and was gone. I spent who knows how long just attempting to compose myself and then rinse my pants out in the bayou water, trying to wash away both the smell of urine and the shame I felt at my cowardly reaction. I had finally stopped shaking and started repacking my bag when I had a realization. There was only one item missing. The Ruguru had taken only one thing, my favorite study snack. The snack I was known for always having in my book bag. An extra large, sharing size bag of M&Ms. It was gone. I eventually calmed down and made it home after the sunset. I let my dad holler at me for being late and no one noticed the cut on my forehead. After that day, I gave up floating the bayou alone and never saw the Rougarou again. I went on to graduate high school and moved away for college, as I had planned. Getting out of the bayou has been everything I'd ever hoped for and more. I go back and visit family once per year, usually around the holidays. When I go home, I still hear the old Rougarou tales being told, but now told to a new generation of Cajun kids. My family has never left the bayou to come visit me, but it's okay. I've come to understand some of the pull the swamp has on them. This person was so terrified from their sighting that they left and didn't look back. But it is also interesting that this was a pivotal point in their life, leaving childhood behind and moving into adulthood. Maybe the Rougarou really is from a higher power and not just a werewolf lurking in the bayou. Maybe instead of a physical creature, the Rougarou serves as a cultural symbol embodying the consequences of one's actions and the fears of the unknown. However, there are ways to protect yourself from the fierce creature. Apparently, these beasts don't seem to be the brightest beings, and they can be easily outsmarted. It is said that if you lay out 13 small objects, things like coins or twigs or beans, near all the entryways like windows and doors, you can beat their brains. When the Ruru comes to your house, it will stop and try to count each object. The problem is, it can't count. So it's going to take a while for it to figure that all out. <laughs> and then it will be distracted all night that when the sun rises, it will turn human again and leave. All right, this one is our last sighting because the explanation section is quite lengthy. But this sighting might be one of my favorite ones, and it's a doozy. A little background here before we jump in. The story comes from Reddit and was posted seven years ago. It's from a South Louisiana native who grew up in a little house on a levee. He is no stranger to all of the Cajun folklore and mysteries surrounding the area. He went on to become a sheriff's deputy, and this is one of his encounters with the Rougarou. As unsettling as some of these cases were, it was the one that happened in late July the year after I joined the department that convinced me to leave law enforcement for good. The farmer's name was Thibodeau. He owned about 90 acres of swampy lowland on which he raised cattle. He called the department to report that some of his cattle had turned up missing. That was not of any particular surprise to us. We had run across a couple of cases of cattle rustling in the time I had been with the department. It was usually a neighbor who had some grievance with the farmer in each case. We had recovered the cattle in question. 
This situation, however, turned out to be much different. For one thing, Mr. Thibodeau grazing land was isolated. His land was bound by water on three sides, and the land on the north side was unoccupied and owned by the state of Louisiana. Still, it wasn't entirely impossible that someone had trespassed on state land to steal those cows. According to Mr. Thibodeau, however, it wasn't cattle rustlers who had stolen his cows. It was the Rougarou. At the time, I dismissed such a silly idea. I had grown up in these swamps and bayous and knew many of them like the back of my hand, at least as well as you can know a place like that. The swamps are constantly changing landscape. A storm can blow through and totally obscure a bayou that had been there for years and create a new one where none had existed before. Sinkholes can pop up where the salt caverns that have existed for millennia erode and swallow acres of land and trees. In all the time I had explored the area during both the nighttime and the day, never had I once run across a creature that I could not identify. I certainly did not believe in the Rougarou. It was decided that John Duplantis and I would stake out the north end of the farmer's land one night and try to catch whoever was stealing the cattle red-handed. The boundary line between the Thibodeau property and the state property was demarcated by a line of trees and a barbed wire fence. Deputy Duplantis and I could not figure out how the thief was getting the cattle across the fence because, as far as we could tell, there were no breaks that we could identify. Since it didn't get dark until later on that time of year, we figured out it would be a little bit better to wait before it got dark enough for the rustler to strike. We didn't think he would come if there was a chance he could be spotted, so we hunkered down to wait. The spot we had chosen was behind a fallen log, more or less in the center of a pasture, with good visibility to the tree line, which was about a hundred yards away, on both the left and the right. The left side was more heavily wooded than the right, although at the extreme right-hand side of the pasture, right where it was bounded by the bayou, stood a little knot of trees. If a person wanted to conceal himself, that was the best place to hide. But the brush was so thick there that there was no way to get a cow out of that way. Even if it had been possible, the bayou that ran along the side of the property on both ends would have prevented him from leaving. By about 11 p.m., we were both getting tired. I figured if he didn't show by midnight, we'd just pick the wrong night and we'd pack it in. I swept the tree line one more time with binoculars equipped with night vision technology and noticed some movement off to the left side. This might be it, I whispered to the deputy, who appeared to be about to fall asleep. He rolled over and took the binoculars from me, trying to spot what I had seen. I don't see anything. He replied, handing the binoculars back to me. Probably a deer or maybe one of the cows wandered over there. I scanned the area again, maybe thinking he was right. There! A figure was moving in the trees from left to right. Night vision showed a figure but lacked definition. All it looked was like a green blob with two arms and two legs. Rather than approach us, however, it kept moving in a straight line toward the grove of trees on the right before disappearing in their shadow. Shit, I whisper. In order to find out who or what this thing was, we'd have to traverse a hundred yards or so of open pasture, and we had no idea whether this guy was armed and might be waiting there, hidden by the trees, to gun us down as we approached. The only advantage we had was that it was dark, the half-moon hidden for now behind a large cloud. 
and so far as I could tell from what I saw through the binoculars, he didn't look like he was wearing any sort of night vision goggles or anything. It was like that he had no idea we were waiting for him. We drew our automatics and moved forward in a crouch toward the mass of trees and underbrush into which I saw the figure disappear. When we were about 50 yards out, I had an awful thought. What if he was working with a partner? Or two? If both of us went in after the suspect, and that was the case, his accomplice could come up from behind and we'd be trapped. I held up my arm, bent down at a 90 degree angle, palm facing to my partner to indicate we needed to stop. I just had a thought, I whispered as he came up behind me. What if he has a partner? You better go left, cover my rear. If we're clear, then you can come back me up. Affirmative, he replied, then broke off to the left to make sure we weren't going to get followed. As I approached the knot of trees, my heart was beating out of my chest, and the hairs were standing up on the back of my neck. What were we doing out here? I had to be crazy. All the guy had to do was pop out from behind one of those trees and I'd be an easy target. Sure, I was wearing my vest, but a slug from a handgun would knock me off my feet, and then he could simply walk up and shoot me in the head. I neared the big oak tree that marked entrance, if you could call it that, of the wooded clump and slipped into its shadow. I could vaguely hear some sound coming from up ahead, but it was too overgrown and too dark to see. Even if I could use my binoculars, they wouldn't be of any use at this range. I crept forward using the tactics I had been taught, feeling the ground with my toes to ensure I wasn't stepping on any twigs that could snap and give away my position. Still, the going was tough as dozens of prickly vines tried to attach themselves to my uniform. The sound was louder now. As I got nearer to whatever I had seen cross the field, it almost sounded as if someone was chewing on something, but it was hard to tell. It was then that I noticed the small clearing in the trees. From the outside, you would have never known it was there. I moved forward and felt something odd under my feet, and when I looked down to see what it was, I realized I was standing on the skin of a recently killed cow. Without conscious thought, I gasped and then quickly realized my mistake. When I locked up, I saw the thing. When I say thing, it's because that is the only way I can explain it. Its back was to me, but it had heard me gasp and was now slowly turning to face me. The thing's, or I guess you could say creature's back was covered with greenish-white skin, almost slimy in appearance. It was certainly not human, but it was no werewolf either. In front of it sat a cow that had been partially eaten and was covered with blood. As the creature's face came into view, the moon suddenly emerged from behind the cloud, throwing a bright glow into the clearing. I could now see everything clearly. I was so horrified I wanted to turn away, but I was transfixed. He, if the creature had any gender, had a bold, vaguely human-looking face with pointed ears and long pointed teeth covered with blood from the meal it was consuming. Its eyes glowed with orange as if burning cinders had been placed in its sockets. I couldn't tell if the look it was giving me was one of anger or merely curiosity. In either case, I felt no desire to stick around and find out. 
Even though I had a firearm, there was no guarantee that it would stop that thing if it got in its mind to attack. By the time I started backing away, keeping my eyes trained on the thing in case it started to move towards me, the deputy came up from behind me. He took one look at the creature, uttered a barely audible, Oh my God, and bolted back in the direction from which he had come. When I felt sufficiently safe, I turned and ran as well, checking behind me to ensure that I was not being followed. We both ran all the way back to where we had left the department SUV and drove back to the station without saying a word. The next day, I handed in my resignation. I mean, this is absolutely terrifying. Every part of this story gave me chills, and I think it's a fantastic one to launch us into all of the possible explanations for what all of these people may have been seeing. Now, let's start off with some obvious ones. Maybe the Ruguru is really just a werewolf that lives in the bayou. Werewolves are creatures of folklore and mythology. They are a fascinating blend of human and wolf characteristics. They are often depicted as humans who possess the ability to transform into wolves or wolf-like creatures, typically during full moons. The concept of werewolves has been present in various cultures across the world for centuries, with variations in their origins, abilities, and behaviors. The idea of shapeshifting between human and animal forms has ancient origins, and the concept of the werewolf was taken on different forms in different cultures. In some cultures, the transformation is voluntary, while in others it is seen as a curse or affliction. In European folklore, particularly in areas like Germany, France, and even the British Isles, werewolves were often portrayed as people who transformed involuntarily due to the curse or the influence of the full moon. In other cultures, such as Native American and African folklore, similar shapeshifting concepts exist, but with different animal forms. This would all make sense, especially with how prevalent they were in France. It's entirely possible this is not its own cryptid, but part of a family we all know very well. This leads us to other possibilities that fall under the same umbrella. There are two other cryptids in America that sound very similar, the Beast of Bray Road and the Dogman of Michigan. Both of these creatures are described as large wolf-like or dog-like creatures standing on their hind legs, resembling a werewolf. Reports vary, but common features include a canine head with pointed ears, glowing eyes, and a muscular humanoid body. Some accounts suggest that it's capable of walking on both two legs and four legs, and many of these sightings were in rural areas or on isolated roads, adding to the creature's aura of mystery. So maybe Rukuru is an extension of these northern cryptids, or maybe they are all the same species of werewolf, just in different locations. But with anything in the wild, maybe what these people are seeing is something we already know about. The Louisiana swamps are rich and diverse ecosystems that support a variety of wildlife, including several real predators. Of course, there are alligators and even wild hogs who are fierce and terrifying, but that wouldn't explain the wolf-like appearance. But there are a couple of mammals that could be mistaken for a wolfman. Bobcats are medium-sized carnivores and are skilled hunters that can be found in Louisiana's forests and swamps. They primarily feed on smaller mammals and birds and don't grow anywhere near the size of the reported Rougarou. But there are also red and gray foxes. Now, foxes are omnivores, 
that inhabit a range of habitats, including swamps, but they mainly feed on small animals, insects, and fruits. And again, don't grow to anywhere near human size. Probably the two most plausible would be coyotes or bears. The American black bear is a bear species native to Louisiana. While they are not exclusive to swamps, they can inhabit a range of environments, including forests, wetlands, and even urban areas. This could probably be the closest in size to the Rougarou, but they definitely do not look like canines in the slightest. Coyotes, however, are canines, so that is a big similarity right there. They are also opportunistic predators that have adapted to various environments, including swamps. Being opportunistic and curious in nature, they might try to take on humans if they deem them prey, but they are not known to stand on their hind legs nor grow to human-like size. But maybe it's all the trick of the mind, seeing something real and letting your imagination run wild. Now, we're gonna go into some more logic-based explanations. Psychological explanations for Rougarou sightings in Louisiana folklore can be rooted in various cognitive and cultural factors. There are a few possible psychological explanations that could account for the phenomena. Pareidolia, or priming, is the tendency of the human brain to perceive familiar patterns such as faces or creatures in random or ambiguous stimuli. In dark, unfamiliar environments like swamps, our brains might interpret rustling leaves or shadows as the silhouette of a creature like the Rougarou, especially if the legend is deeply ingrained in local culture. Additionally, culturally priming, being exposed to stories and legends, can make people more likely to interpret ambiguous stimuli as fitting those narratives. And in the same sense, if people visit areas known for Rougarou sightings or hear stories about them, their heightened expectations can influence their perceptions. When in a state of heightened awareness, people might mistake common animal sounds or movement as evidence of the legendary creature. This could also lead to collective memory and group thinking, which can influence people's perceptions. Now, of course, there's also fear and anxiety involved in these sightings and cryptids, which can very much take a hold of everything. Dark and unfamiliar environments can trigger heightened anxiety and fear responses. This heightened emotional state can lead to misinterpretations of natural sound, shadows, or other ordinary stimuli as threats. The Rougarou legend is designed to evoke fear and caution, so individuals in such environments might be more susceptible to seeing what they fear. But this brings me to what I really think is going on here. Human beings are storytellers by nature. When people hear compelling stories, they can internalize them and start perceiving elements from the stories in their surroundings. The more vivid and impactful the story, the more likely it is to influence their perceptions. The Rougarou legend served as a cautionary tale, instilling societal norms and reinforcing moral codes. People might perceive Rougarou sightings as a manifestation of moral consequences due to deep-rooted cultural beliefs and they often use stories and legends to explain events or emotions that are difficult to understand or deal with. Rougarou sightings can serve as a way to externalize fears, guilt, or anxieties, attributing them to a mythical creature rather than confronting their root causes. I think this is something very similar to the Wintigo. It's a story that was created long before any of us to protect people from venturing into the swamp where real danger lies at every turn. The legend of the Rougarou will continue to cast its spell over the Louisiana Bayou, reminding us 
of the mysteries that still lie beneath the surface. So, what do you think? Is the Ruguru really out there? We are on Instagram, at OutThereCryptids, so make sure to follow us and tell us all of your thoughts on the cryptids we cover and what you'd like to hear next. It would mean a lot to us if you go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. It's a great way for others to find the podcast and enjoy, just like you. One month from today, I will be covering an alien abduction case that is filled with twists and turns. We'll be talking about the Travis Walton abduction. See you next month. This episode is written and hosted by me, Josh, with logo designed by Jason Sykes and theme music from PearlPlanet.com.